Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And we've got an interesting topic on hand for you today as we bring a particular aspect of business law into focus. Welcome back to Chicago's Legal Latte, everybody. Jim Mitchell here with you again for another discussion on a matter of law that may impact you well, in a number of ways. Now, our topic today is one that uh, can be highly charged at times, so we'll try to uh, just dissect it and bring you a good view to help encourage thoughtful discussion. We'll be talking about employment discrimination, but in our conversation today, we're going to focus on the employer perspective of that topic. We'll talk about how a good employer may take steps to prevent discrimination cases, and of course, if one should arise, we'll discuss defensive strategies as well. Now, here to provide the legal perspective is Attorney Lance Siebel. Lance is an experienced practitioner with Lavelle Law Limited and uh, we'll be able to share a good overview during our discussion today. So, Lance, uh, I know you're very busy, so thanks for taking the time to join me for this. No problem. It's always uh, good to have you here, and this is an interesting topic. And before we you know, really start to dive into it and, and get to some of the specifics, can you give us maybe just an overview, very general, because I know it's complicated, as to what actions or behaviors might generally be considered as discrimination in the workplace? Well, there's a pretty broad array of them, but they generally tend to fall by what I would say is classification, um, Mm -hmm. age, race, uh, sex, sex gender, um, religion, any of those things. So you usually run into issues first with the kind of classification, and then there's usually some kind of conduct underneath that that leads to the discrimination. Could be anything from firing a person, uh, denying a promotion, not hiring a person, or even the somewhat less common claim of some kind of harassment based on any of those classifications. Okay. So those are the types of things we hear about in, in the press uh, on a regular basis and, and have been, you know, unfortunately inherited in certain industries. So it's good that we have that uh, definition here as we begin our conversation. Now, the other point of clarification I have before we get any further is if if an employee you know feels they have a discrimination case, the type of thing we'll talk about today, where does that get handled? Does that go through the court system or are there different uh, hearing or board authorities that might handle it? Uh, what are we talking about today? There's actually two different relevant authorities, um, one of which is almost mandatory that you do before you get into court. But for practical purposes in Illinois, there's the Illinois Department of Human Rights, and then on the federal level, you have the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So either one of those two bodies can take com- discrimination complaints. Okay. Now, we'll uh, we'll start to talk about those situations today. And as I, as I mentioned in our introduction, what we're going to look at is the employer perspective of this today, because obviously... Whenever there's a claim, there is a defendant, there is someone that is being accused, and we want to take a look from a business perspective at that, that view today. So naturally, there, there may at times be difference between discrimination and a claim of discrimination. So let's start at the beginning when there's a claim. What, what steps does a smart employer, a good employer, take to avoid having claims brought against them in the first place? Well, 
the bad news is there's no way you can really prevent a claim from being filed. Uh, it's just like a lawsuit. Anybody can walk in there and say they've been discriminated against. Um, the critical piece, from my view, and having answered quite a few of these, is how you respond to them. That's really where the employer can make up some ground, um, depending on which agency it is, because they have different things that they look at. But you know, if you're looking for kind of a catch-all as to how to prevent it, it, it's difficult, if not impossible. However, there are some things you can do that will make your response better. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, let's let's talk specifically about the response. Um, let's um, dive into that because I know that's really what's critical here. Um, the claim is made. What what does an employer do to then sort of defend themselves and to protect against um, you know any ramifications from a claim? Well, the, the initial thing is you, you have to answer the response, and this is going to vary by agency. For example, the Illinois Department of Human Rights, their response tends to be more basic in the sense that you're kind of just saying, yes, I agree, no, I don't agree necessarily, whereas with the EEOC, you do have, uh, in my view, an opportunity to certainly make more legal arguments than you might um, in front of the Illinois Department of Human Rights. So certainly that, when I'm dealing with these issues, I certainly take avail myself of the opportunity to file a full responsive brief um, because the EEOC does let you file a position statement. So that's the place where sometimes you can nip a lot of this in the bud. Department of Human Rights in Illinois is a little bit different situation. Okay, and how so would that be different? Well... In the EEOC, they tend to make a very quick decision because they will either find that there is evidence of discrimination, at which point the complaint would move forward in their process. Um, If they don't find evidence of it and you put together a good position statement, they will decline to pursue the case further and give the claimant what's called a right to sue letter, which gives them 90 days to go into court and file a lawsuit. Um, That obviously can be a discouraging thing for a claimant, especially if they don't have a particularly good case. Um, And so that in in that response, I don't know that to put a percentage on it, but uh, if I did, I'd probably say it's 50-50 with the EEOC. So you can bump a claim out earlier with the EEOC. The Department of Human Rights is a little bit different. Uh, the process there tends to look, like I said, you, you file a, a response, but you don't have the same opportunity to necessarily file a position statement. Um, and even if you do, I don't think it carries the same weight as it does before the EEOC. What ultimately ends up happening with the Illinois Department of Human Rights the majority of the time is they will conduct what's called a fact-finding conference where they will bring in the claimant, they'll bring in the employer or a representative from the employer, and they will basically try and figure out what the facts are. Um, The problem comes in, in my experience with this, is that generally most of these actions or discriminatory claims tend to be based on something verbal. And the Illinois Department of Human Rights investigators are not permitted to make fact determinations. In other words, if two people disagree about what happened, then the case will move forward. So 
in the Illinois Department of Human Rights, if you're an employer, there's a greater chance that the case is going to move forward than there is in front of the EEOC, at least in my experience. Now, let's go back to the beginning when you talked about, you know, the in each case, EEOC and Department of Human Rights, you know, your initial response and, and the different abilities to prevent or to present a, a defense or a statement of some sort. I assume that once you're notified, there's some sort of timetable that says within 7 or 30 or 90 days you need to respond. Is there is a, a fixed structure there that you need to work within? There is. Generally, when whenever either body issues the notice to the employer, uh, it'll contain all their time frames within there. Um, it's generally about 30 days or so, and you, each one has different requirements for how you need to respond and what you need to provide the given agency. And, and we're, we're, I guess I should uh, lead into this question. We're, we're talking with Attorney Lanziebel of Lavelle Law Limited, and, and he's one of the uh, attorneys that joins me from time to time. He's got great experience in, in this and, and other areas. We're talking about uh, discrimination in the workplace and, and claims brought against employers. And, and I guess, Lance, what I wanted to say there is it sounds just from the description you've given me here briefly in terms of what has to happen, when it has to happen, and what's at stake, if an employer receives a notice of this sort, really nothing they should attempt to do on their own. That you know, this is a phone call to the attorney right away and say, you know, help me get this together. I would recommend that. I mean, I guess an employer could theoretically take it on, but you know, if you want to defend it the best way that you can, it would be advisable to get an attorney. Just because the downside of, of these types of things can be expensive. Yeah, and what, what's at stake if, if uh, something is, and we haven't talked through the whole process yet, but let's just go to the end of it for the moment. If something uh, is found to be a valid claim, you know, what's, what's the cost to the, uh, to the employer? Well, certainly the, the, the most basic premise that comes from it is lost wages. So, for example, if you had a person that was making $100,000 a year uh, and you terminated them and they could not find work and two years later you're finally getting to a resolution of their discrimination claim and you lose, you know, you're on the hook for $200,000. Depending on the nature of the discrimination, there could be other damages assessed. Uh, if they have an attorney, there could be attorney's fees. So it can rack up pretty quickly just depending on, you know, how much the person is paid, how long they're out of work, how long it takes to get resolution. Mm -hmm. Now, if if the procedure is happening through the normal course of action, I mean, are there other methods that you can use to resolve this? Could could you simply, you know, have the attorney and, and the employer sit down and, and just uh, with the employee and, and kind of talk through and see if you can't come to a resolution? Or, or once a claim is filed, it has to go through the formal process? Uh, most of the agencies, and I believe this is true of the EEOC and certainly the Illinois Department of Human Rights, they do, they do try and mediate these issues. Um, and get something figured out very early in the process. Um, I have not been a participant in a mediation uh, just based on some of the cases I've had, but it, the opportunity is there. So certainly if an employer wanted to resolve the matter early in the process, um, that can be done, uh, and then the charge is dismissed at that point in time, and you just kind of go about your business. And just to clarify for me now, if if uh, you're, you're in a mid to large size company and, and an employee 
files a, a claim. It may be, let's say, against a, a middle manager, maybe their supervisor. When that happens, is the employer, the owner of the company, the one that's ultimately liable, or is this a sort of a personal uh, instance in which that person who's charged with discrimination is the one that's really uh, accountable? It generally runs to the employer, not the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, individual tends to be fairly rare, um, just because they're they're an employee also generally. So it's going to run to the company, and frankly, uh, there's not always much value in suing an individual, um, just because they may not have the wherewithal to pay any judgment that might be obtained. So you generally see the employer um, where the, you know, when you when you start talking about people getting fired for discrimination, then there's more layers to it in the sense that who made the ultimate decision? Are they the ones that made the discriminatory comment? Um, was there was the decision to terminate based on discrimination, um, which you know now you're flowing into the whole field of defenses, which I, I'm guessing we don't have time for. But uh, <laughs> you know there's there's a there's a whole host of defenses that that a company has, but ultimately what they're looking at is it's not always necessarily the individual that's doing the. Uh, taking the discriminatory action unless it's more of a harassment type situation. When you start talking about terminating, um, not hiring, or failing to promote, which are the most common ones, uh, it's not necessarily the supervisor. It could be somebody above the supervisor that is the one that's ultimately causing the problem. Okay, well, Lance hit it right on the head, if nothing else, by saying that we just don't have time to get into all the details of this topic, and it certainly sounds to me like maybe we ought to come back and, and talk about this one again because um, I know I've got a list of questions here I'd like to get to, and I'm sure there's a lot more he'd like to share. So uh, thanks to Lance for being here, and let's maybe schedule another visit with him to go a little bit more into detail on this one. Um, and uh, certainly hope uh, we'll have a chance to, to do that in the near future. Now, looking ahead near term, uh, next week, Josh Nesser is going to be here. Joshua and I are going to visit an annual topic that we like to discuss um, as the IRS recently released their list of top tax scams for people to avoid. So it's going to be a very timely discussion and one that uh, always brings around uh, good conversation. So I hope you'll join us for that. Thanks very much for being here. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.